0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode nine, and I'm going to do an article today from Word on Fire. It's by Bishop Robert Barron. It's dated January 27th, uh, last uh, this year, uh, 2023. It's recent, and uh, it's called. It's titled Inclusivity and Love. And it's basically the article, the entire article is on the synod of synodality, uh, the process. And, you know, we've heard so much about it and it's, it, it, you know, it seems to be like a, a kumbaya thing. I mean, that's how I look at it because this whole listening session and, well, we're going to see what how this affected Bishop Robert Barron and um, you know, he's gotten um, he's gotten himself in a little bit of a pickle between um, Michael Voris and Taylor Marshall and other people, you know, we have a reasonable hope that all men are going to be saved that all people are going to be saved uh, or his view about hell and stuff like that. And, um, I think, I believe he's orthodox, but I think the problem is he's, it's, you know, you know, what they say, I mean, I don't know. You remember, I don't know if you ever seen, uh, Ben Hur with, uh, Charlton Heston, that classic film. And there's a scene where Ben Hur was with, uh, this, uh, Arabian uh chieftain and he you know he, he has somebody uh training his white stallion horses his beautiful uh, white stallion horses and uh he didn't like the man whipping his horses because they were his precious beauties and Ben Hur who was for years uh sort of like you can say in prison in exile he Uh, got out, got adopted by a Roman, and then he worked in the Roman circus. And he had some training with, you could say, horses, stallions in a circus. And he showed his knowledge by telling him that the slowest one should be in the middle and you keep the fastest one on the side so that the slowest one can catch up with them. In a sense, I have to say that Bishop Robert Barron is sort of like running with the bad bishops. He's forced to say things or to that sound, well, negative. I mean, Christ has spoken about hell. Christ has spoken about judgment. And the problem is, is that the bishops don't like to preach about it. And they don't want the priest to preach about it because... You don't want to make on un- anyone unhappy. They're corporate executives. They're, they're far away from their, uh, from their diocese. They're impossible to reach. They're impossible to talk to. They're worried about the finances. They're worried about the church's relationship with the, with the, with the government, um. They're sound. They're surrounded by bureaucrats, people who want to make sure that they don't hear or see things. I mean, the greater evidence, the uh, the proof of it, was in the scandals. You know, um, they they didn't know, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know. They don't know their priests. They didn't know what was happening. they they have become bureaucrats, and I think, unfortunately, for Bishop Robert Barron he's surrounded by that kind of mindset he has a he has a desire to teach and preach and you can see that you can see that in him but he's following a um a playbook a playbook that's that that the bishops are going to stick to No matter how wrong it is, no matter how out of touch they are, he's going to follow that playbook. All right, so um, let's begin. Uh, Let's start off with an Our Father and a Hail Mary and a Glory Be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, so let's begin. All right, let's begin. Inclusivity and Love by Bishop Robert Barron. All right, this is from Word on Fire. The other night, I had the privilege of participating in one of the listening sessions for the continental fa- phase of the synodal process. The basis for our discussion was a lengthy document produced by the Vatican after it had compiled data and testimony from all over the Catholic world. As I have been studying and speaking about synodality, I very much enjoyed the exchange of views, but I found myself increasingly uneasy with two words that feature prominently in the document, and that dominated much of our discussion, namely inclusivity and welcoming. There you go. There's the Achilles heel of the whole thing. So I want to, they have a link here. So I want to check out what the synodal process here. So we can explain it a little bit. Okay. Synod on synodality. It's been all over. All right. Let's see. What does a synodal church truly look like? How can we engage bishops Something popped up. How can we engage bishops, priests, and the laity in the church in effective ways of moving the church forward? Join this webinar with Miss. Okay, I don't want to read that, but let's. All right, well, obviously, right there you can see what it is. It's all about um, engaging. I mean, here you have a photo. You have two bishops and you have a lay person. So right there we see what the process is. It's about uh, engaging the the uh, the church with the lay people. And I think that right there is a problem. Um, it's a problem because <sighs> my view is you got to, you have to, Teach the gospel. You have to teach the gospel. You have to bring Jesus Christ to them. And a lot of our bishops, our priests, just don't do that. But anyway, I don't want to go off. I want to continue reading here. Okay, and here's another one. Let me look this link. It's probably going to lead to the same one, right? Well, let me see here. Uh All right, we'll look at this another time. Let's continue with what we're supposed to hear. Um, Let's read this. Okay, we stopped it. Namely, uh, he's bothered by two words, uh, inclusivity and welcoming. Again and again, we hear that the church must become a more inclusive and welcoming place for a variety of groups, women, LGBT and plus people, the divorce and civilly remarried, etc But I have yet to come across a precise definition of either term. What exactly would a welcoming, inclusive church look like? Would it always reach out to everyone in, in a spirit of invitation? If so, the answer seems obviously to be yes. Would it always treat everyone, no matter of their background, ethnicity, or sexuality, with respect and dignity? If so, again the answer is yes. Would such a church always listen with pastoral attention to the concerns of all? If so, affirmative, meaning yes. But would a church exhibiting these qualities never pose a moral challenge to those who would seek entry? Would it ratify the behavior and lifestyle choices of anyone who presented him or herself for, for admission? Would it effectively abandon its own identity and structuring logic is so as to accommodate any and all who come forward? i hope it is equally evident that the answer to all those questions is a restor- resounding no the ambiguity of the terms is a problem that could undermine much of the synodal process all right so what does he mean well let's look at it this way when you talk about accepting the church is open to all sinners the church is a hospital for sinners but the problem is what do we mean by accommodating and welcoming now it means yes the church will welcome everyone but the problem is what does welcome mean to the sinner because who on whose terms is the church is this welcoming process is it on the terms of Christ? Or is it on the terms of those people who want entry into the church? What do they mean by welcoming and respecting? Because, you know, near my parish, Regina Pache uh, Basilica, right by the parking lot, the side of the church, there's a house. And outside the window the other day, I saw a rainbow flag hanging over. Yes, a rainbow flag hanging over. And the sign, uh, I believe at the window, respect, transgender, LGBT team, uh, youth. It was meant for the bishop, for the for the clergy to see, for the for, oh, for everyone to see. So you see the attitude right there. So the question is, what does it mean to accommodate and accept and welcome? What does it mean? What does it mean to be inclusive? Because the word inclusive for the, for the world is totally different than what the word inclusive would mean for the church. Again, I, like I said earlier in a podcast, new wine for new wineskin You can't take old new wine and pour it into the old wineskin, meaning the old life. Christ demands a radical change. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be, you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to accept the fact that there has to be a radical change and a conversion in Christ and this is, I think, what Bishop Robert Barron is starting to notice. Well, I think he always knew this. I think a lot of them know this, and I think a lot of them, either their con is going to bother their conscience, or some of them are going to simply make a shipwreck of their conscience and decide to play along with the world. You know, be a Judas, because the idea is some people like uh, Father James Martin wants the church to create a new right or marry gay, gay people, same-sex people, um, you know, no demands of change, no demands of conversion. He doesn't want to do any of those things. He doesn't want he doesn't because it's it's on Christ's terms. you can't if you put new wine in old wineskin, meaning in the old life, the wine is going to keep expanding. What it means by expanding, the gospel is going to make demands. It's going to make demands in your life and you're going to know this is not working out because it's going to, what happens is it's going to be a disaster. It's going to explode. You are not going to be able to handle it because you can't make a shipwreck of your of your, of your conscience. The Holy Spirit demands conversion and complete change of life. Your old life has to die and your new life has to begin. There has to be a a death and a resurrection in your soul. Christ demands that he who wishes to follow me must pick up his or her cross. There's your your inclusion, your, your inclusivity. And follow me. Deny your old life. Deny yourself. And follow me. The road to heaven is straight and narrow. And very few can make it. The road to hell is wide open. There has to be a radical change. A simple way of looking at it is like this the person who's living a sinful life, the person who's living in the life of the world, is this all you are meant to be? Is this all you are? Is this all that you see yourself? Do you not believe that you're meant for more? All right? Is... The person who is trans, is this really who you are? Is this all that you see who you are? You don't believe there's more to you? Do you believe that this is the only life that's meant for you? There's more to you. There's more. God sees more in you. He sees, you you know, you're meant for more. You're meant for heaven you're meant for eternal life the same way a person who like a banker a person who just wants to make money or even a celebrity like someone like madonna who makes a, who made just recently offensive photos in 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 uh, vanity fair i believe it is And she's now competing with her old 80s pop idol self. There's more to her than this. There's more to her life than just being a celebrity old singer living in the past. There's more to a prostitute than being a prostitute. There's more to a a drug addict and an alcoholic Than being a drug addict and an alcoholic. Right? There's more to a mobster. All this is like. A horizontal earthly life. Of captivity. And self-destruction. There's more to you. Than this. You have to believe that. Everyone has to. Because God looks at us. And he sees more. That's what it is. Christ sees more to us than this. But the world, the world looks at you and tells you, this is who you are. This is what this is what you're meant to be. You're a transgender man. you're a transgender woman. you're an you're a a, 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 a minority who can't get out of it because you're because you're limited because of your race and the color of your skin. No, no, my friends, there's more to you. Than you can realize, God has created us far more and for a better life, and you can live that life now in Christ. Be liberated from your captivity, be liberated from your bondage, to the pharaohs of this world, to the to the emperors of this world, to the to the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. You can be liberated from the devil. There's far more to us. All right, let's, uh, I guess we we'll backtrack a little bit, but let's begin. Again and again, we hear that the church must become a more inclusive and welcoming place for a variety of groups, women, LGBT+, people, the divorced, the civilly remarried, etc. But I have yet to come across a precise definition of either term. See, this is the problem. What exactly would a welcoming and inclusive church look like? Would it always reach out to everyone in a a spirit of invitation? If so, the answer seems obviously to be yes. Would it always treat everyone, no matter their background, ethnicity or sexuality, with respect and dignity? If so, again, the answer is yes. Would such a church always listen with a pastoral attention to the concerns of all? if so, affirmative. But would a church exhibiting these qualities never pose a moral challenge to those who would seek entry? Would it ratify the behavior and lifestyle choices of, of anyone who presented him or herself for admission? Would it effectively abandon its own identity and structuring logic so as to accommodate any and all who come forward? I hope it, I hope is equally evident that the answer to all those questions is a resounding no. The ambiguity of the term is a problem, and could undermine much of the sonatal process. Okay, here's a little um. Uh, quote from the from the article inclusivity of the Lord was Im- Im- was ambiguously ambiguously. Ambiguously, I'm sorry, consistently accompanied by his summons to conversion. You see, so you see that he he's right. He's getting it. And I'm glad he's getting this because I know he's, you know, he's been getting you know, beat on uh, a lot lately. But I'm glad he identifies this problem. I'm glad he sees this. And um, maybe, you know, we're beginning to see a change because the pastoral, the problem, I think, with a lot of the things going on with the church is pastoral. And I've always said it, it is pastoral. It's a pastoral problem, a teaching problem. Also, I have to say, with all honesty, I'm weary of all the lay people who surround the clergy because they're like bureaucrats. You know, as someone said the other day in a podcast, um, that they they like to play by a play uh, go by a playbook, you know, a process where stick with it. This is how we always done things, and this is how we should always do things. No, if it doesn't work, I hate to say this, but you we're losing people. We're losing a lot of people, and not only that. With the battle between, uh, with the Rad-Traz and the SSPX, lately it's gotten more, even Michael Voris is starting to notice and he's attacking, making a pushback against uh, the so-called Rad-Traz, mainly on the SSPX uh, pocket, uh, fence. Because these guys, they, you know, they, they, I mean, I'm all for if you want to go to a landmass. mass. And I like and I'm all on the side the way Benedict um, the late Benedict 16th said that the the new ma- the the ordinary the mass that we get in the vernacular in the local parish level and the extraordinary which is the the classic Latin mass are really one of the same one of the same uh sacrifice it's the same sacrifice but in different forms and different expressions. Not one is superior to the other. In many ways, yes, there's problems in the the, the way the new the 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 the, ordo, the ordinary, is abused. There's a lot of abuse. We we all admit that. And it's done deliberately, I think in many places, and because of bad pastoral training bad catechesis and because someone let the crazies in. Let's face it. That's a problem. Anyway, let's continue here. In order to adjudicate this matter, I would suggest that we look not so much to the uh, environing culture of the present day, but to Christ Jesus. Bingo. Thank you. Bishop Barron. Thank you. Avoid letting the culture take over. The synod, because that's what happened after Vatican II. The culture invaded the church. All right, bad wine came in. Bad, bad influences came in. You know, uh, a lot of uh, mix and match, a lot of playing, a lot of experiment, a lot of social experimenting came in. I'm glad he he pointed this out. Let's begin again. In order to adjudicate this matter, I would suggest that we look not so much to the environing. Environing culture of the present day, but to Jesus Christ. His attitude of radical welcome is nowhere on clearer display than in his own table fellowship. That is to say, his consistent practice of countercultural in the extreme to eat and drink not only with the righteous, but also with the sinners, with the Pharisees, tax collectors, and prostitutes. These meals of sacred fellowship, Jesus even compared to the banquet of heaven. Throughout his public ministry, Jesus reached out to those considered unclean or wicked. The woman at the well, the man born blind, Zacchaeus the tax collector, the woman caught in adultery, the thief crucified at his side, etc., so there is no question that he was hospitable, gracious, and yes, welcoming to all. Bingo. This is it. This is the real Bishop Robert Barron. This is a real bishop who sees the problem and understands it. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, thanks be to God. God bless him. This is the way it's supposed to be. And the problem here is you're gonna have a lot of the other clergy who find it easier to conform to the culture and conform Christ to the world, which is a false Christ, like people like James Martin, all right, who's all in on the gay, who's all in on LGBT, that's you know, and who's not telling them the truth, he's not preaching, he's deceiving them. All right? he you can't do this because you can't you can't do it you have to you ha, we have to encounter jesus christ and convert we need to convert what's the point of coming of, of having a relationship with christ and you don't change to encounter Christ means you never, ever the same. To look into his eyes and hear his voice and hear him speak to you means you have radically changed. You're a whole new person. A whole new life. You can't be the same. It's It's impossible. Remember, like, Isaiah, when he said, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, living in the land of a people unclean. And one of the angels came down with tongues and took a hot burning coal and touched his lips. Behold, you are no longer unclean. The fire of God, the presence of God changes you. You can't be the same. You can't be the same person. Remember what Christ said, you cling on to one, you'll despise the other. You'll love one and you will ruthlessly hate the other. You can't have two masters. You must change. And some people, the process of conversion is slow. And other people, the process of conversion can be radically fast. But either way, it's a radical conversion. Whether... Slow or fast, it's a radical conversion. You're going to change. You can't be the same. You know, a lot of people just don't understand that. And I think, sadly, um, they don't really. It's not a club. It's not a fan club. It's not a Jesus Christ fan club. It's radical conversion. Radical complete conversion. And it's not once in your life, it's throughout your life. You have to want to be a saint. I, I know that's the that's something I understand now more than ever before. Ask, beg the Lord to make you holy. Beg the Lord to make you into a saint. And you have to let Jesus Christ in into your entire life. That's something I've learned by reading a book by Father Mitch Paqua and how to, how to listen to God when he's talking to you. It's one of the Ignatius way. It's, you know, and I know I'm not crazy about Jesuits, especially modern Jesuits, but classic Jesuits I'm all in for. But the idea behind it is that you, first of all, want to be holy. You want to be a saint. Second, you have to, you know, basically you have to admit that God exists or else that's it, that God is really truly real. And you have to be a saint. You have to beg the Lord to make you into a saint, And two, well, three, actually, the third part is, <clears throat> excuse me, is you have to let God into your entire life, completely every corner of your life. You have to let him in your relationship, your job, uh, your, your, you know, your finances, everything, everything has to change. Your entire life has to change completely topsy-derby completely in and out Backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, everything. Your, your sexual life, your financial life, your friendship, your work life, your education, everything about you has to change and completely be cleansed and purified. And it's a slow process. And some people, it's a fast process. It doesn't matter. Also, repent, which means complete repentance of sin. And this is the problem. This is the other problem. People have to go through one two process, consolation. Which is, to live in the in the in in the consoling presence of God in your life. And consolation leads to sorrow of sin. The classic term is desolation. Now here's the thing: there's positive desolation and there's negative desolation. Positive desolation is repentance of sin. In, in consolation, in total gratitude to to the God's mercy to Christ forgive, to Christ forgiving your sins. But if you go to negative, which is the dangerous part where you start to, where the devil starts to make you think that you can't be a Christian, that you can't change, that you can't live without your sin, that this is wrong. it's you know everything. it starts basically controlling your thoughts and moving your mind to negative thoughts. This is where you got to be careful because that, this is where temptation comes in to not want to change, to not want to, 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 to live the Christian life, that it's impossible and it's stupid. Why should you do this? This is, this is all from the devil. Every one of us has, unfortunately, an evil spirit that follows us around and tries to control and and to destroy our life with Christ. It, whatever sins we hold on to. Addiction to porn. Addiction to some form of idolatry in our life. And other parts. It could be addiction to food. One of my problems. and and Or it could be alcohol. Or it could be love of money. It could be distractions of any kind. There are all kinds of sins. That will hold us back to prevent us from going forward, from improving. You see, you have to step back from yourself and be honest with yourself of what's going on. This is unfortunately what a lot of our ministers and pastors can't do for some reason. Our, you know, even bishops have a, have a difficulty. And there's a lot of people in the church that don't understand this. Sin, sin can be psychological, as well as supernatural. It could be scientific. With scientific reason, you can use psychology, but you, you can use therapy, but also you can use spiritual therapy. Prayer. There's no there's no reason why you can't use both. But for some reason, with certain people, they want to they, they want to conform the Christian faith to the world, which is Putting new wine in old vessels and and, and, and an old way of life, which will not work, which always fails, because if you're not going to change your life, then the person might as well not become a Christian. Why bother to become a Christian? Nothing's changed. Anyway, let's continue here. All right, let's continue. All right. So we got to the part where he says, here in ending, the woman at the well, the man born blind, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the the tax collector, the woman caught in adultery, the thief crucified at his side. So there is no question that he was hospitable, gracious, and yes, welcoming to all. We continue here. By the same token, this inclusivity of the Lord was unambiguously and consistently accompanied by his summons to conversion. There you go. Thank you. Indeed, the first word out of Jesus' mouth in his inaugural address in in the Gospel of Mark is not welcome, but rather repent. Yes, to the woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. After meeting the Lord, Zacchaeus promised to change his sinful ways and compensate, compensate lavishly for his misdeeds. In the presence of Jesus, the good thief, acknowledge his own guilt. And the risen Christ compelled the chief of the apostles who had three times denied him, three times to affirm his love. That's because you need to be radically challenged. The gospel challenges you. Christ challenges This is what Jordan Peterson has been saying. And I think this Meeting Jordan, Dr. Jordan Peterson, Bishop Barron has finally understood it. He, he's got a great burden on himself. He took he has been raised up. The Lord raised him up to become a bishop. A successor to the apostles. And he understands this now. Because, plus we see this in the in the that beautiful show, The Chosen. It Jesus challenges us. He calls us. More, the world doesn't ask anything of us. This method of tolerance and flimsy and wishy-washy uh, approach has not challenged people, which is why everybody's leaving. And the shutdown has done great damage to the church, great damage to 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 people, because people saw the church didn't didn't care, the bishops didn't care, the whole vaccination thing. There's a lot of people who worry are in on the whole new world order and the whole uh, you know new society and whatever the heck it is and with the <clears throat> with this whole process of of running with the superpowers of the world, it's not you know what? you, you want to choose the devil, go go serve the devil yourself. if that's what you want. But if you choose choose Christ today and if you're going to choose Christ, you have to be a martyr. you have to be a saint. There's all, there's different ways to be a martyr. You don't necessarily have to be put in front of a a shooting squad or in front of lions, but we are living in a cancel culture. And the point is you, if you live, if you want to convert to Christ, Christ will make you face yourself one way or another. If you don't bear fruit, you'll be cut down and cast out. Every tree that does not bear fruit, Christ himself or the Father, both well, the Father and the Son, actually, will prune and remove every branch that does not bear fruit and cast into the fire. You can't have it both ways. You cannot serve God and the world. So... He, you know, you know, he did it. I mean, he, he Zacchaeus changed. Zacchaeus had to climb a tree because he was short to see the Lord. The woman caught an adultery. He turned the, the, the hypocritical uh, religious leaders, he turned the law in on them. He who was without sin cast the first stone. Right? And what happened afterward? Woman, where are they who judge you? Oh, nowhere, Lord. Neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. We're never told if she went back to her old life or she changed. But the point is, this is the way the Lord is showing us how to handle situations like this. You know, um, the good thief, the good thief, who knows how many times he might have encountered Christ? Who knows how many times he might have heard Jesus speak? Who knows how many times he might have encountered people who have encountered Christ and made testimonies about him. There are all kinds of ways the Lord signals us to conversion. When witnessing to people, let's remember that every single person we witness to, we meet, is made in the image and likeness of God. They have a value. That person was put in front of you for a reason. You were placed there in their presence for a reason. And the reason is to witness Christ to them. Not self-righteously. Not like, hey, have, you know, have you ever heard the gospel? No. Do it by friendship. Do it by kindness. Do it by, by really surprising them Maybe at times it may take a while. Let them ask you. Pray that the Lord would, would maybe put an idea in their head to ask you about your Christian life. Sometimes going up to their face and you've got to remember there's a, there's, there's a right moment. A right moment. And sometimes you've got to use the right words. Words. Not saying to the person, you're going to go to hell because you're gay. Why would they want to listen to you because you told them that? Remember, you don't know their whole story. You don't know what they went through. You don't know why why they've gone to the point of, think, of believing that this is the lifestyle for them. Obviously, there is a desperation to find love. And you know what the, the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's actually quite true. They, a lot of people confuse sexuality with love. And now they're being told that this is their identity. The world is telling them their sexuality is their identity. That they're, now they can choose who knows how many different kinds of genders. So you got to realize it. The world is messed up. These people are victims. And they're misguided. A lot of people are. The same way as uh, one guy thinks that he can have as many women as he wants. That's just as as bad. It's just as sinful. Or now the world wants to uh, destroy children. Pedophilia, they want to legalize that. It is a sick world so we have to be christ for those people we have to we have to be christ we can't just shove the gospel in their face that's self-righteousness on our part and if they react violently don't think that you suffered for christ it may the devil could force could also give us self-righteousness in our head that we, there that, that 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 were, were good Christians by telling someone, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. You know, the time when John the Baptist appeared was different. He wasn't preaching to unconverted people. He was preaching to people who already knew the scriptures. John wasn't preaching to Gentiles, although Gentiles may have heard him. John the Baptist I'm referring to here. They were first pre- he was first preaching to a Jewish audience. So he could say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How would they know what the kingdom of heaven is? That's why they thought he was Elijah. He was speaking to a converted audience, a converted in Judaism, but now he was telling them the kingdom of heaven, that the Messiah is here. That the Christ has come. That's why he was able to call the Pharisees a bunch of brood of vipers. He could be as rude to them as he wanted. Because they they knew what he was talking about and they knew the context of his message. They were familiar with the scriptures. Are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Think about that. Our situation, our circumstances is different. It's not the same. You have to talk to them in the context that they understood, that they understand today. So this is why we have to learn how to talk to this audience. We have to learn how to reach them in a language that they can understand. You want them to hear the gospel. You want them to listen. This is not. This is not. Watering down the gospel. It's talking to them. In a context. That they can understand. Making them think. About their lifestyle. Making them think about their self worth. Remember like I said. Is this. All that you are. Is this all that you're meant to be. Do you really believe. That there's not more to you. There's not more value to you. Challenge them. Challenge them. Challenge them in a positive way. That they can look for the negative themselves. Let them find the negative. Okay? By putting a positive idea, a positive question... That will make them look for the negative. That's how I think. I, I I really believe that. Let's move on. Okay, let's continue. So, with Simon Peter, remember what happened. He, the risen Christ, when Jesus rose from, from the dead, Simon, who denied him three times. What did he ask? He challenged him. Simon, do you love, Simon, son of John, Simon, son- Simon Barjona, do you love me? Ne- he lost the name, the title of Peter. All right. And the three times that the Lord was asking was the fact that the Trinity was asking three times. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? He answered, Lord, you know, I love you three times, three times. Three times. That's a challenge. That's a a challenge. That's for him to rise above himself. All right, let's continue. In a word, there is a remarkable balance in the pastoral outreach of Jesus between welcome and challenge, between outreach and a call to change. This is why I would characterize his approach not simply as inclusive or welcoming, but rather as loving. Thomas Aquinas, I'm glad he he mentioned him in the article, reminds us that to love is to will the good of the other. Accordingly, one who truly loves another reaches out in kindness, to be sure. But at the same time, he does not hesitate when necessary to correct, to warn, even to judge my mentor, Francis Cardinal George, was once asked why he disliked the sentiment behind the song, All Are Welcome. He responded that it overlooked the simple fact that though all are indeed welcome in the church, it is on Christ's terms, not their own. You see, that's what I'm saying. This is what Father James Martin keeps doing. This is what a lot of these uh, modernists keep doing. They don't demand change. They don't love these people to demand more from them. They don't love them enough to see that there's more to them. They think by, by they, they look at the faith as, I've said it before, evolving, Changing. In other words, like a human experiment, a social experiment. And it's not a social experiment. It is divine. That's not divine. That evolving, like something, some Darwinian uh, uh, theory. No. It is the church, the faith, comes from the Son of God. All right? It is true. And we have to... We have to approach them and make them see that they, that they make them realize that there's more to them and that Christ sees more in them than their, than this so-called earthly <coughs> transgender uh lgbt human baseless self there's more to them that they are far more than what they think, they, than, than what the world tells them. That they are far more valuable to God than this. And, it, and there's far more, there's a greater a greater reward, a greater expectation for them. They are meant for a relationship with God. So, yeah, Father James Martin doesn't, tr- he, and he's a Jesuit, for crying out loud. <clears throat> he knows... <sighs> I'm not going to say he knows because I don't know what he knows, but one thing's for sure. He's not being honest. All right. And we have to reach out to these people in a language that wakes them up. We have to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak to them, to communicate the truth to them. All are welcome, but on Christ's terms. You you have to, you have to see this. They have to see it, and we have to help them to see it. There, it can be done. It can be done, my friends. It can be done. It's not impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Remember, if you command that mountain to move and be cast into the sea, it will be cast into the sea. Nothing's impossible for God. With God, all things are possible, and. And it, it is possible to communicate the gospel to them. So let's continue. An overall concern that I have very much related to the con- consistent use of the term welcoming and inclusivity is the trumping of doctrine. Ah, anthropology and real theological arguments by sentiment, or to put it in a bit differently, the tendency to psychology. Psychologize, psychologize the matters under consider, uh, consideration. The church doesn't prohibit homosexual acts because it is it has an irrational fear of homosexuals. Nor does it refuse communion to those in irregular marriages, arrangements, regular marriage arrangements, because it gets its kick out of being inclusive. Nor does it. Dis- dis- disallow women's ordination because grumpy old men in power just can't stand women. For each of these positions, it articulates arguments based on scripture, philosophy, and theological tradition. And each has been ratified by the authoritative teaching of bishops in communion with the Pope. To throw all these settled teachings into question because they don't correspond to the canons of our contemporary culture would be to place the church into, into real crisis. And I sincerely do not believe that this shaking of the foundations is what Pope Francis had in mind when he called for a synod on synodality. I hate that. I hate that term. I really do. I'm glad he brought this up. I'm glad he's, he's hit every single point. Thank you, Bishop Robert Barron. Thank you. It's, you know, the problem is, is that it's the the antichrist of today is Marxism, Leninism, social, neo-socialism. It's all, It's all that. And it's basically... It's very beastly and earthly. It's very be- beastly, I would say, because it's satanic. It, 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 it's basically the the eras of Russia. Uh, I think the eras of Russia have become the eras of communist China, and uh, in many ways, if you there was a. It was on Doctor Steve Trilley. He played a um, a nineteen eighty four interview with a former KGB who pointed out all the tactics that Stalin, Stalin, uh, communist Russia put out—tactics to undermine, to disrupt education uh intellectual understanding of reality which basically was the seed of questioning reality it's a way of destroying the culture destroying the 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 you know no matter what like he says something like um, to no matter what no matter how much facts you put in someone they will never believe it because they have been trained not to believe anything not to trust or believe the facts Or that they can reinterpret reality to whatever they want it. Even if they you get you, you held a gun to your head, they're not gonna believe it. Or, you know, you get a quick quick kick in the pants, you're not gonna believe it. Until you finally remain you you finally find yourself in a concentration camp yourself, being tortured. Maybe you'll start believing it. It's it's really odd. But they did this and basically to undermine Uh, patriotism to undermine confidence, confidence in society, confidence to question, rebel against your family. All this came, all this came as KGB tactics. And I believe it is true because look at where we are. Look at our culture. Look at the fact that, uh, much of our nationalism is undermined. We don't even trust the voting system. This is, this has all come into fruition. We, it's all into Reality. And this is where we are now. <clears throat> now we have a culture that is uh, obsessed with sexuality as an identity, uh, and 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 questions the reality of anything. Look at the way look look at where we where we become. We become this. This is really sad and disgusting. It's sad, and 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 we've lost a lot of uh, trust. You know. You know, we're we're very materialistic. It's like Fulton Sheen said, in the communist world, they took the cross without the Christ and turned it into a hammer and sickle. Hitler turned it into a swastika, right? And in this materialistic decadent West, right? Capitalist West, we took the Christ and we abandoned the cross and turned him into an activist, Turned him into a social activist, effeminate, weak, in you know, uh, emasculated, and in you know, and not a demanding Christ, welcoming, a pushover, someone you can walk over, and we made him into a an activist, another, uh, basically, voice among many. No, doesn't demand anything, No, not even divine. Either side, he's not divine. Either side is not divine. What was the cross before Christ? It, it was torture. It was death. It was the power of the state. And when he mounted it, when he was enthroned on it, it became a symbol of forgiveness and mercy he's in front of the cross with his arms spread and his feet nailed he's with a crown of thorns and with and and he he is fully in power he all authority of heaven and earth is in his hands anyway um i'm glad i um i'm glad i uh what do you call it uh, played uh, did did an article on this. I wait, I'm gonna find a way of putting a link for these articles so you guys can can read it yourself. Okay, okay? so thank you and God bless.